0: Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to take up the last two verses in chapter 23, verses 55 and 56. I'm going to call this section The Watch of the Women by the Tomb of Jesus because this is on Good Friday afternoon when Jesus was taken off the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and was buried, and there were women watching where he was buried. I've discussed this in parallel passages in Mark 15 verse 47, and in Matthew 27, verses 61 through 66. So this will be a short audio, and I've already done, as I said, a discussion of Mark 15:47 and the parallel verses. In a previous audio, I'm going to splice that in here, and that splice begins now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. We are going to look at, in this audio, the events ...that occurred after Jesus was crucified on the cross and taken down, his body taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. And we're going to look at the events from that moment until the next Saturday afternoon, from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. We'll start in Mark 15, verse 47, Uh, just because I need to go back one verse in Mark 15 to pick up, while we also look at the parallel passages. All right, Jesus has been crucified. We start in Mark 15, verse 47 which says now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was placed. Now, this is Friday after he was taken off the cross. Mary Magdalene, of course, is the famous Mary of Magdala, the woman whom Jesus drove seven demons out of and who followed him around in his ministry and watched him be crucified. The other Mary is what I call the other Mary. In fact, she's called that in the parallel passage in Matthew 27, verse 61, the other Mary she is the mother of Joseph, as Mark calls her. And when she's standing there at the crucifixion, she's called the wife of Alphaeus, or the wife of Cleophas. Alphaeus and Cleophas are the same name. So her husband was Alphaeus and Cleophas. Her sons are Joseph, as mentioned here, and also she had another son named Jesus, Jo, James. So James and Joseph were her sons. Now we hop over to the parallel passage in Matthew 27, verse 61, and we read Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and that's why I call her the other Mary, because Matthew calls her that. That's the mother of Joseph, also the wife of Alphaeus and Clophas. They were sitting there, seated there, facing the tomb. So they watched where Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus. Now why were they sitting there? Well, they wanted to observe where the body was laid, because they were wanting to prepare spices and ointments to anoint his body. They were going to go back Sunday after the Sabbath. This is Friday afternoon before the Sabbath, which started at Friday sundown. there. They were going to wait until Saturday was over, and actually Sunday morning, they were going to go prepare his body for burial. That would be in addition to what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were doing as they were preparing his body on Friday afternoon. Now, sitting, they were seated looking at that tomb, That was a mourning position, and they were mourning, according to John Gill and Adam Clark. Now, mourning was not allowed by Jewish law for a criminal on the cross, but Jesus was off the cross now, so they were not breaking any Jewish law at all. Here's a quote from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. The courage and affection of these holy women cannot be too much admired. The strength of the Lord is perfected in weakness. For here, a timid man, that would be Joseph of Arimathea, and a few weak women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, and there were some other women too. We read in Luke, unnamed women. These women, these few weak women, acknowledged Jesus in death when the strong and the mighty utterly forsake him. The strong and the mighty being Peter and the rest of the apostles. Now, they were facing against, they were sitting over against the tomb, facing against the tomb. How did they know, how did the two Marys know that Joseph had taken the body there? Well, we read in Luke twenty-three fifty-five which we're going to turn to in just a minute. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. So they watched the tomb so they could go back on Sunday and finish the the burial preparations. Now, where was the Virgin Mary while all this was going on? After Jesus had been taken off the cross, she had been probably taken to John's house by now. We read in John 19 verses 26 through 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, i.e. John, standing there, this is while he was on the cross, and John and Mary were standing in front of him, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, John, here is your mother, and from that hour the disciple took her into his home, and that's why Mary was probably not with the women who were preparing Jesus' body for burial. Now I just read Luke chapter twenty-three verse fifty-five. Let me read verse fifty-six. Then they returned. That's Mary, and that's the the other Mary and Mary Magdalene and the other women who had come from Galilee. They returned to their. It says they returned. It means probably they returned their home to their homes and they prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So they returned on Friday and rested Friday night all through Saturday, all through uh, Saturday afternoon. Now. The spices and perfumes that they prepared. There were yards of cloth that were wrapped around dead bodies, and large quantities of spice that were used in preparing a body for burial. In fact, we read in the NIV that seventy-five pounds of myrrh and aloes were already used on Friday. That was Nicodemus, John nineteen thirty-nine. This is actually the Holman Christian Study Bible. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, that's in John three, famous John three sixteen. Uh, For God so loved the world, verses there in John 3, it was was used in addressing Nicodemus. Nicodemus also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, enough to bury a king. Jesus was given a kingly burial, burial, despite the fact that he was crucified as a criminal. But even with that 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, that wasn't enough. The women got more. They purchased more so they could return after the Sabbath. Now, the fact that they were preparing burial spices for Jesus shows that they really had no hope of Jesus' resurrection. Now this is despite his teaching earlier that he would rise. And I was surprised to, I just now looked this up, how many times did Jesus predict that? I found 15 verses of where he told them, his disciples, I'm going to rise again. They couldn't understand that. They had no clue. Here's one example, Mark 9:31. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, He will rise. This is earlier in his ministry somewhere, I forgot where. And like I say, there's about 15 other verses that say exactly the same thing, but it was too much of a shock. They were hurting. They were emotionally devastated. They did not believe that Jesus would rise again from the dead. That was against all hope, against all contemplation on their part. Now as far as resting on the Sabbath, which these women did, this was actually not required by law according to Adam Clark. All works necessary for the dead were allowed on the Sabbath. The law made exception for working when you had to prepare people for burial, to wash the body, to anoint the body. No problem. You could do that on a Saturday. You couldn't move the limbs of the dead person, but you could do the washing and the anointing. But Jesus was executed as a criminal. The women, and the women might not have known the Jewish law that well, Because, after all, it's like the the United States tax code. Nobody knows what the tax code is. Not even the IRS knows what's in the tax code. It's a miracle anybody. If if the government wanted to throw everybody in the country in jail for violating the tax returns, they could probably do it because nobody knows what the law is. And And these women probably didn't know what the laws were about preparing dead bodies on the Sabbath. So just to be safe, they took it easy on Saturday, on that Sabbath, especially since Jesus was executed as a criminal. Now let's move over to another parallel passage in Matthew chapter 27 verse 62 the next day which followed the preparation day the chief priest and the pharisees gathered before pilate so now we move from the women on friday afternoon now we go to the chief priest and the pharisees on saturday afternoon which was the sabbath afternoon jesus was killed on the the, the day before on friday First of all, it says the day which followed the Preparation Day. What is Preparation Day meant? Well, every Whenever you see Preparation Day, just think it's the day that the Jews prepared for the Sabbath, which is every Friday, every Friday before every Saturday was Preparation Day. So that would be Sunset Thursday to Sunset Friday, the day before the Sabbath. My NIV Study Bible confirms that. GotQuestions.org confirms that. However, there are some people that want to make a big deal out of saying, no, the Preparation Day was the preparation of the Passover, which is a special day. And when it was, I don't know. But they get this from John 19:14. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. So they say, see, it wasn't the preparation of the Sabbath. It was the preparation of the Passover, which is a different day. And then they get into all this complicated dating controversy. Well, the answer to that is, in my opinion, the fact that the Passover included the Passover proper, which was Thursday, and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was the seven days after that Thursday, so we're talking about an eight-day period, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's eight days. Well, in that eight-day period, a Sabbath falls, so the Sabbath that is encompassed by the Feast of the Passover slash Unleavened Bread, which was called just Passover, those eight days, there's a special Sabbath in that Passover period, and the Friday before that Sabbath was the preparation day. So it was called preparation of the Passover, but what it means is the prep- is short for preparation of the Sabbath, which is in the Passover period. And so we're talking about the day that followed that preparation day, so preparation day is Friday, the day that followed is Saturday. So that's how we know what day it is. It's Saturday, the chief priest and the Pharisees are gathered before Pilate. Now the question is, is why were they there? Well, here, here's what they had done so far in the last two days, Thursday and Friday. This is Saturday, but Thursday and Friday, this is what they had managed to do. They had took counsel on how to put Jesus to death. They had employed Judas Judas to betray Jesus. They sent a band of soldiers with Judas to arrest Jesus. They suborned false witnesses against Jesus. They moved the people to prefer Barabbas to Jesus so that Barabbas was, was released off the cross instead of Jesus. They got Jesus condemned to death, and they mocked him while he was on the cross. Not a bad two days work if you're going to be killing the Son of God. Now, you notice that the the chief priests, who were usually Sadducees, and the Pharisees usually hated each other. Sadducees and Pharisees mixed like oil and water. But boy, when it came to hating Jesus, they were tight like buddies. They joined together. Now, why did they go to the to the chief to go to Pontius Pilate, who was probably in the Praetorium in Herod's palace? Why did Why did they go there? Well, they were scared that the apostles would steal the body. That's what they were worried about. And they wanted to stop that. Now, some people say, John Gill, for example, that they were actually afraid that Jesus might actually rise again from the dead, just like he predicted. I find that hard to believe. I don't think these people, I think these people really did believe he was fake. He was not a true Messiah. I don't know how in the world they explained all those incredible miracles he did, but they were so full of hatred and stupidity that I don't think they really thought he would rise again from the dead. I think they were afraid the disciples would come and steal the body and falsely claim a resurrection. We move on to verses 63 and 64 in Matthew 27. And said, this is the chief priest and the Pharisees, said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead then the last deception will be worse than the first. Well, what's the last deception? They were referring to the fact that Jesus would rise from the, from the dead and that that would be a deception. The, the disciples would deceive everybody and say, See, he rose from the dead, but he didn't really rise from the dead, according to them. That would be the, first, the last deception. The first deception was going around claiming that he was the Messiah. Now, it's interesting, he's talking, the Pharisees and the chief priests are talking to Pontius Pilate, who doesn't really believe that Jesus was a deceiver, but they call him a deceiver. We remember that while this deceiver was still alive, they couldn't even mention his name. They hated him so bad. So they didn't care whether Pilate thought he was a deceiver or not. They were going to call him a deceiver, even though they must have known that Pilate didn't agree with them. They never did use Jesus' Jesus's real name. They hated him so bad. Now, James and Fossett and Brown suspect that the Jews are here displaying a certain uneasiness. They're thinking that maybe they had murdered the Messiah. I don't think so. I think that they really did think he was a deceiver. That's my humble opinion. You don't know what's in their head. You can just guess. But I think they were so full of hatred and bile that they really did think that Jesus was a deceiver. Now, they claimed that Jesus had said, after three days, I'll rise again. This deceiver said that, so you've got to be sure that he doesn't rise again, or he doesn't rise again, or nobody makes it look like he will rise again. Well, when, when did the chief priest hear that Jesus had said that they would rise again? Well, John Gill says they must have heard it from Judas, and then they lied when they told Pilate, we heard that three days he will rise again. They actually... Well, I guess it would be a lie. They say, sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, and that's not really accurate if they got it from Judas. They're not remembering it firsthand. They are recalling it from what Judas said. So that's not exactly straight. If that's true that they heard it from Judas. However, they could have deduced it from Jesus' teaching. His teaching was well known. In fact, it came up at Jesus' trial. Matthew 12, verse 44, Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, as the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, so that when you say that when he said that he was going to be in the earth three days and three nights, that implies on day four he's going to be out. John two nineteen says this. Jesus answered, "Destroy this sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days." And if you understood Jesus for what he meant, talking about his body, that means he would be coming up from the grave. I think that's probably it, rather than Judas telling Jesus is that they figured out from the, from Jesus's teaching. Plus, they heard this Jesus's defense at the trial. They knew, what was going, they knew that Jesus had claimed he was going to rise again from the dead. It was no secret. He, Jesus had told his disciples that many, many times. It is ironic that the Pharisees and chief priests could remember that Jesus had said he would rise from the dead, but the disciples did not remember. And like I said, it was because they were probably emotionally destroyed by the crucifixion. They certainly didn't act like men who thought Jesus was going to rise. They started acting like men who knew that Jesus had risen when they saw him come out of the, after he had come out of the tomb. John Gill says this, quote, Bad men have sometimes good memories, and good men, bad ones. So the bad men, the Pharisees, remember what Jesus said, ironically, but the good men, the disciples, forgot what he said. And again, it's because they were emotionally invested in in Jesus' life, and they hated to see him go. Now, they mentioned the tomb, the tomb, to Pontius Pilate. The Pharisees and chief priests said, put a guard on the tomb. They knew where Jesus was by this time. Now, I wonder what they thought about Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus, this criminal, this deceiver, and putting him in his tomb. Probably didn't make Joseph of Arimathea too popular. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was a big shot. But they knew where the tomb was now, so they must have known what Joseph of Arimathea did. Now, And by the way, it's a good thing that Joseph of Arimathea did this, because if Jesus had been thrown in a common criminal's grave, then nobody... And if he had risen out of that criminal's grave, people would say, Ah, oh, you don't know that he rose again from the dead. All those bodies in there, you can't distinguish one body from another. But the fact that he was alone in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a rich man, and he was in a, a tomb where there, was no, where there were no other bodies, when that tomb was empty, everybody knew, Hey, that tomb is empty. Jesus was in there. He's risen from the dead. That would have been the case with a pauper's tomb, a common grave. Now, it's ironic that the Pharisees and the Sadducees The Pharisees and the chief priests were afraid that the disciples, or apparently afraid, that the disciples would come and steal Jesus' body. Because the disciples had all run like little chickens. They were gone, except for John, who had taken Mary to her house. But all the rest of them had fled fled and were hiding in their houses in Jerusalem and nobody could see them. Now, the Pharisees and the chief priests might not have known that. But it is ironic they were worried about something that wasn't ever going to happen. Now, by asking Pilate to give his orders, the Jews unwittingly helped prove the resurrection. Because, I mean, you put a guard on the tomb and all of a sudden now the tomb is empty. That's real hard to explain. You put a, you, your own guard on the tomb to keep the disciples from stealing the body and now the, the tomb is empty. Well, how do you explain that, Jews? Well, they never have been able to explain it. Of course, we know from the story later on, which we will read, that they, told, they bribed the guards and said, you fell asleep, so the, so the soldiers came and took the body, which is, of course, absurd. How in the world could people roll that big heavy stone away and get a body out with with the uh, soldiers, how would that not wake the soldiers up? Not to mention the fact that a Roman soldier falling asleep on guard is instant death. The Romans would have executed him. Those soldiers didn't fall asleep. That was a stupid story. And the Jews apparently repeated that over and over again for years. By the way, the third day says Jesus rises, will rise again on the third day. We've got to remember that the Jews counted a part of a day as a full day. So, Jesus was buried on Friday, that's day one. He stayed in the tomb Saturday, that's day two. He rose on Sunday morning, that's day three, even though he was only there for part of the day Friday, just for a few hours actually on Friday, and only for a few hours on Sunday, but it was still three days. And you also say three days and three nights, because that's a a term that goes together to refer to that whole period. Now let's go to Matthew 27, verse 65. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. So Pilate had given the Jewish leaders a guard of Roman soldiers there, and the you have either means that you already had use of these soldiers or you've got it now. It's not really clear. They might have been the same soldiers that crucified Jesus. They might have been being used as a temple guard. doesn't really matter. These soldiers went to guard Jesus' tomb. Now, they already had those soldiers. You wonder why they just didn't send them to go guard Jesus' tomb. Well, it could be the Jews weren't clear as to their authority to use the soldiers as a night watch. They knew that the soldiers could be used to guard the temple and so forth, but maybe not to go out and guard a criminal's tomb. They weren't so sure, so they got their permission from Pontius Pilate. Now, these soldiers that went were probably, according to John Gill, the same four soldiers that crucified Jesus. These Roman troops were used as temple guards who guarded the temple by turns. They would rotate, and these were probably some of the soldiers who were off-duty at the moment, not guarding the temple. Moving on to the, the next verse, Matthew 27, verse 66. Then they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. The they is the soldiers who went to seal the, the tomb. They sealed the stone. They put a seal on the stone that was in front of the tomb. Now, what seal was that? It could have been Pilate's seal, Pontius Pilate's seal, according to Adam Clark. It could have been the Sanhedrin seal. It doesn't matter. It was sealed, so if the seal was broken, then something that would show that somebody had stolen the body. When, they, when somebody saw that the seal was broken. Now this seal ironically did something. It helped show that the disciples did not steal the body because no disciple would have the guts to break a Roman seal, or even the San seal, but especially if it was a Roman seal, no disciple would do that, which makes it hard to explain who broke the seal and how did the body disappear? It was the angels that broke the seal and they rolled the to- stone away from the t- tomb as Jesus walked out of that tomb. Now, as John Gill points out, By the providence of God, the situation was perfect to prove the resurrection. First of all, the body had been laid in a new tomb, quote-unquote new tomb, where no other body had ever been. So if the body left the tomb, the body that left had to be Jesus' body. There could be no confusion that it was another body that was in the tomb that that disappeared. It was Jesus' body. The tomb was hewn out of rock, so there was no access to the tomb except through the door, so the disciples couldn't have gone in the back door or the back way to get the body. A heavy stone was rolled across the door. How could people go, how could disciples go to the stone and roll that stone away with nobody noticing, making all the noise that it would have to make when you got Roman soldiers sitting right across the way watching the tomb? There's no way. As I mentioned, the stone had a seal on it. No disciple would have the guts to break a Roman seal. So that's one more reason why the disciples wouldn't have been there stealing the body. The grave had a Roman guard around it, which provided even more witnesses of the resurrection. And I wonder, as a Aside here, I wonder how many of these soldiers later became Christians. They were probably not because they were bribed to say that they had fallen asleep. We read that in Matthew 28. The Jews bribed them, so they probably didn't become Christians. But they could not confess. They could not say, look, somebody stole the body. And as ironic the the soldiers also provided security in case somebody, for some reason, might want to disturb Jesus' body. A malicious person might want to steal the body. The Christians could say, hey, see, he's risen, and then a bad guy could then show up with a dead body. Well, that's not a, that, that option is foreclosed because the Jews put a seal on the tomb. Now, the stone that was put in front of the tomb was very large. We read in Mark 16:4, looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away when the women saw the tomb that Sunday morning. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've now returned from my splice discussing Mark fifteen forty-seven, which covers Luke twenty-three fifty-five through 56, the watch of the women by the tomb of Jesus. We now know how the women knew where Jesus was buried. In our next audio, starting with Luke chapter 24, the last chapter in Luke, we will look at the women at the tomb late Saturday afternoon and early Sunday morning. And that will cover Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. I hope you tune in for that audio, and I hope you enjoy this one.